Holy Gospel according to Mark, the sixth chapter. Glory to you, Lord. Jesus came to his hometown, and his disciples followed him. On the Sabbath, he began to teach in the synagogue, and many who heard him were astounded. They said, where did this man get all this? What is this wisdom that has been given to him? What deeds of power are being done by his hands? Is not this the carpenter, the son of Mary, and brother of James, and Joseph, and Judas, and Simon, and are not his sisters here with us? And they took offense at him. And Jesus said to them, Prophets are not without honor except in their hometown, and among their own kin, and in their own house. And he could do no deed of power there except that he laid his hands on a few sick people and cured them. And he was amazed at their unbelief. Then he went about teaching among the villages. He called the twelve and began to send them out two by two and gave them authority over the unclean spirits. He ordered them to take nothing for their journey except a staff, no bread, no bag, no money in their belts, but to wear sandals and not to put on two tunics. He said to them, wherever you enter a house, stay there until you leave the place. If any place will not welcome you and they refuse to hear you, as you leave, shake off the dust that is on your feet as a testimony against them. So they went out and proclaimed that all should repent. They cast out many demons and anointed with oil many who were sick and cured them. Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, O Christ. Sisters and brothers, grace be unto you and peace from God our Father and from our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. We can all name people we would say are great people and whose lives we would describe as success stories. Question, was Jesus great? Was Jesus' life a success story? Assumption, we probably none of us would be here today if we did not think so. Reality check. Jesus, as a preacher, was unceremoniously rejected in Nazareth, his hometown. And Jesus, as a Messiah candidate, was voted against by the politically successful in Jerusalem, by the religiously successful in Jerusalem, and by the crowds in Jerusalem who, given a chance to vote, demanded that Jesus be executed, and he was. Conclusion. Just as there are politicians today to talk a lot about greatness, but who, biblically speaking, need to rethink their understanding of what true greatness truly looks like, so too we, maybe all of us today, need to rethink our understanding of what success looks like when defined not by politics or religion, but by God. Which takes us to our text for today, which begins in Nazareth of Galilee, Jesus' hometown, where Jesus, who has been just dramatically trending on Facebook and Twitterverse throughout Galilee, returns to preach a sermon in his home church, the response to which is not, wow, Joel and Mary's boy sure did grow up well. No, Jesus goes home to preach a sermon in his home church, the response to which is, who 
does he all highfalutin think he is? We know his mama. And they didn't, it says, shake his hands after services and say, nice message, pastor. <laughs> they shook their heads, offended at him. And Jesus, it says then, even Jesus can't do anything there as a result. Something to think about, whether you are a rabbi, a messiah, a Christian, a Christian pastor, or for that matter, a Christian parent, the only thing love can do is what is yours to do. You can't force the issue by doing for others what is theirs to do for themselves by way of receiving or rejecting what love offers. Jesus, God's love in the flesh, who did so many deeds of power elsewhere, wasn't able to do deeds of power in Nazareth when greeted by the unfaith of those who didn't believe he could do and preferring the status quo of the walls that they were living behind, those self-erected walls, they didn't want him to do anything among them. Something else to think about. Are there things Jesus wants to do in your life? Are there things Jesus wants us to do in our life together? But they won't happen unless we step from behind the walls we choose to live behind and say yes to him. Jesus said no to by the church in Nazareth, wasn't able to do among them what he wanted to do for them. And instead it says, and how is this for an epitaph you do not want? Instead it says, he was amazed at their unbelief. Which I take to mean that he didn't see it coming. That Jesus as a human apparently thought folks would know Folks in Nazareth would know great spiritual food when he served it to them, but they didn't. They preferred the food others were feeding them, and they told Jesus to hit the road, and he did. And he didn't stand there beating his head against the walls to their city or beating his head against the walls to their hearts. He moved on down the road to do all the things that he could and would do elsewhere. Something to think about. Was Jesus a failure in Nazareth? Depends. Is failure measured by how others respond to you? Or is it in fact success that is measured by doing what God has given you to do no matter the response of others? Back to the story, Jesus rejected for doing what God had given him to do in Nazareth, says Mark 6, 6, then went on to other villages where he kept doing what God had given him to do and offering what God had given him to offer. And in many of those villages received by faith, he successfully did many, many great deeds of power. Another something to think about, sometimes stung by failure, we are not called to quit, but rather to move on. Paul Harvey, in one of his classic rest of the story 
monologues told the story of Joe, who was born into a family of Sicilian immigrants with a 300-year-long history in the fishing business. But Joe got sick at the smell of fish and by the rocking of a fishing boat. And so in a family where the only acceptable way to earn a living was by fishing, Joe was a failure. His father routinely referred to him as his good-for-nothing son. But Joe could do. What could he do? He couldn't stand the smell of the fishing business. The rest of the story, one thing Joe could do was play baseball. And giving up a field where he would never succeed, Joe DiMaggio moved on to become one of the greatest baseball success stories ever known. Sometimes, surely, failing means we need to keep doing the same things we've been doing, but do them in a different place, in other villages. But different times, failure might be our call to do something entirely different, because something entirely different is what God has gifted us to be. Back to his text. After his failure in Nazareth, Jesus did move to other villages to preach and teach and heal and amaze there. But Jesus on earth was a real in-the-flesh man walking on the earth, which means he also, we maybe don't think this so often, but he had real in-the-flesh limits. Which means that though he personally did go to other villages to preach and teach and heal and amaze, there were more other villages than he as a man could personally get to. So verse 7, he sent his disciples out two by two to do some preaching and teaching and healing and amazing of their own. And he gave them power, his power, for that purpose. Notice, he gave them his power, not for their own purposes in their lives, but for his purposes in their lives. And powerfully, they did what he purposed. Something else to think about. It wasn't just true then, it's also true today. I'm talking about the fact that some things Christ means to empower his church to be doing won't be done unless the people of the church, one by one or two by two, and scattered for service, get up and go out to do them. Which is to say that some of the work Christ means to be done in the world today is meant to be done by our hands. And some of the words that Christ means to be spoken in our world today are meant to be spoken by our voices. It's how he gets things done. Back to the story. Before he sent his disciples out to do what was theirs to do, before they went anywhere, he promised them ahead of time that plenty of folks they would preach to and reach to would reject and be offended by them just as many had rejected and been offended by him. And interestingly, importantly, he didn't tell them how to prevent that from happening. He didn't tell them how to avoid saying some words or doing some things that, that wouldn't be well received. Rather, he told them how to respond when inevitably that would happen. He told them how to respond 
when people's responses to them were sometimes lukewarm, other times apathetic, and some once in a while times flat out ugly. Go, he said, preach, he said, share the good news, he said, heal, he said, lovingly, hands-on ways, be the good news, he said. And when that wasn't sometimes well-received, just like he himself wasn't sometimes well-received in Nazareth, for example, then he said, leave that place shaking off even the very dust on your feet as you do so. Not by all means to quit then, but rather, he said, go elsewhere then to preach, to heal, to teach, to share, to love in my name all over again. Something else to think about. Don't let failures turn you from faithfulness. And two, don't let failures define you. Learn what there is to be learned from them, of course, but then don't drag the failures of you or others along with you for the rest of your life. Shake off the dust of failure and move on without it. James Hewitt writes about his son supergluing the parts of his first ever model airplane, and in less than three minutes, he writes, his right index figure was stuck to the wing of his DC-10. <laughs> And he tried to free it, he tugged, he pulled, he waved, he frantically tried to shake it, but he couldn't get his finger free, and so they found a solvent that did the job, and that ended the moment of crisis. Then Hewitt writes, Last night I remembered that scene when I visited a family in our neighborhood. The father of the family introduced his children. This is Pete, the clumsy one. That's Kathy with mud on her shoes. She's the sloppy one. And as always, Mike is last. He'll be late for his own funeral, I promise you. Hewitt concludes that dad was doing a thorough job of gluing his children to their faults and their mistakes. People do the same thing to others or to us all the time. They remind us of our failures, our errors, our sins, and they won't let us live them down. Like my son frantically trying to free his finger from the plane, there are people trying sometimes desperately to free themselves from their past. They'd love a chance to start again, and when, when we don't let people forget that past, we glue them to their mistakes and refuse to see them as more than something they've done. But when we use the solvent of forgiveness, we gently pry the doer of the hurtful deed from the deed itself, and we say that the past is just that, it's past, it's done with. Something else to think about, be they our mistakes and failures, or the mistakes and failures of others in their relationships with us, mistakes and failures are not meant to define forever anybody, them or us. They are meant to be learned from, forgiven, and then shaken loose, moved on from, for the sake of you and me and them and us. Back to the story, but not anymore the story in Mark 6, but rather the story that Mark 6 and all of Mark's gospel is in fact heading toward the whole time he's telling it. I'm talking about the climax of the story, the one that Jesus did see coming, 
when he would be rejected not with poor feedback on a sermon, but with a, with a cross. And everybody then, some gloating and some grieving, would watch him die, and in that moment all know that he had failed. Failed to defeat us, said the gloating. Failed to save us, said the grieving. Something to think about. We don't know enough always to know whether a particular something that happens, something really exciting and joyful or something really hard and painful, we don't know enough always to know whether anything that happens will, in the plans and purposes of God, actually prove in the long run, in the end, to be a failure or not. The cross, after all, was judged by all to be one of the most dramatic failures ever. But it was, in fact, the most successful effort ever to let a sin-broken world and sin-broken people know how deeply they are loved no matter their sins and their failures. The cross reminds us that sometimes we don't fail to succeed, sometimes because God is God and because God's ways are not our ways. Sometimes by God, failing is succeeding. Sometimes we don't fail to succeed, sometimes by God we fail in order to succeed, which I think is what Paul was talking about in, in that second reading for today when he said that when he looked back on his life with, with faith hindsight, what he saw is that God's strength was at its strongest in his life when he'd personally been at his weakest, which led him to say, I am content, I'm actually, he said, I'm actually even glad for my weaknesses and my struggles because God's grace is sufficient for me for God's power is made perfect in my weakness. I saw something on BuzzFeed.com recently. Grandma Melissa will explain to you what BuzzFeed.com is. But they call it the best rejection lever ever. Now by way of full disclosure, my fact-checking friends at Snopes.com tell me that this is legend that this actually didn't happen. But uh, it, it, it's, I want to tell it anyway because it made me smile, and we can use smiles that, that aren't at the expense of anybody, and this is one of those cases. But I want to read it too because even though apparently not literally true, I think we can get something true from it. So let me read it to you. To Herbert A. Millington, <laughs> Chair, Search Committee. Dear Professor Millington, thank you for your letter of March 16. After careful, after careful consideration, I regret to inform you that I am unable to accept your refusal to offer me an assistant professor position in your department. <laughs> this year, I've been particularly fortunate in receiving an unusually large number of rejection letters. With such a varied and promising field of candidates, it's simply impossible for me to accept all refusals. And so despite your college's outstanding qualifications and previous experience in rejecting applicants, I find that your rejection does not meet my needs at this time. 
Therefore, I will assume the position of assistant professor in your department this August. I look forward to seeing you then. <laughs> Best of luck in rejecting future applicants. Sincerely, Chris L. Jensen. Snopes.com does tell me that that letter of rejecting a rejection is legend. It's not fact. But let me tell you something for a fact. The story Mark's whole gospel is aiming to tell us, the story told in the last chapter of Mark's gospel, the Easter story, is Jesus' rejection of our rejection of him. We're rejected to a cross he loved even from a cross and come Easter shaking off the bloody dust of the cross and of death and of our sin, he did what was above all his and his only to do for hammer holders in Jerusalem, for naysayers in Nazareth, and for us. Rejected to a cross, he rejected the rejection. He loved even from a cross, and come Easter, successful even beyond a cross, he said to all, to you, give me the dust of the sins you've sinned. Give me the dust of the sins others have sinned against you. Give me the ashes to ashes dust of death itself. And come, start anew. Follow where I will lead you. And know, oh dear sinner, know no matter how anybody anywhere ever judges you, oh dear sinner of mine, know Know how deeply and how forever I love you. Amen.